Bretto, after eight years of wellness summits, the 2021 Wellness Summit on Saturday, June 26th will be our last one. Last ever Wellness Summit. And this is not like the last, last ever Wellness Summit. This one actually will be the last ever Wellness Summit, Marcus Pierce. <laughs> not a John Farnham last ever. <laughs> not a John Farnham. This is it. This is going to be it. It's going to be massive. It is the last one after eight years, after nine summits. It's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a great opportunity to say farewell, to say thanks, to celebrate what has been an amazing Wellness Summit. But I think more importantly, a great time and a great opportunity to deliver some wonderful health and wellness content to the world at a time when I think they absolutely need it most. Saturday, June 26th, purely digital event. There are no borders. Wherever you are in the world, you can join your favorite wellness couch presenters, Kim Morrison, Brett Hill, Jason Witten, Bridget Wood from Nourishing the Mother, Paul Thompson, Andrea Huddleston from Wellness Women Radio, Joe Witten, Cindy O'Meara, the entire Wellness Couch team. We cannot wait to join you. And Marcus Pierce. Marcus Marcus Pierce, Pierce. that guy, that guy. June 26th, it's all day Saturday. It's one big wellness fest, 97 bucks, brought to you by Positive Mentor. Tickets and details at thewellnesssummit.com. The word diversity has been reduced in today's world to mean gender and race, but really diversity in its pure definition is around every single difference that you can imagine in life and how unconditionally loving can you be towards every single difference, particularly the ones that are at the other end of the spectrum of your beliefs and views and uh, behaviours? How compassionate can you be towards the things that you vehemently and the people that you vehemently disagree with and continue to live your life with love? Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. Really excited to share with you this week a beautiful soul, an exceptional soul. Incredible Marcus Pierce is magnificently obsessed with helping people create their exceptional life. A former journalist, radio and television producer, Marcus has interviewed hundreds of the world's most graceful ages, high achievers and interesting people. Many of them are on his podcast, 100 Not Out. He is the creator of the Exceptional Life Blueprint and director of the Wellness Couch Podcast Network. A keynote speaker on exceptional life design, Marcus has delivered trainings to companies as big as NAB down to local communities, sectors including banking, health, wellness, and real estate trust. Marcus is there to help teams perform to their exceptional standards, but he also does it in a personal way. To any of us who have ever been a part of or seen him speak at the Wellness Summit, you will know that he has an exceptional ability to connect a crowd, make everyone feel fantastic, and certainly light up the stage with his antics, <laughs> some of the crazy things, you know, impersonating Freddie Mercury and people like that. He just is one hell of a guy. He makes you laugh. He makes you think. He is someone that is definitely very much... Probably the master of detachment has taught me many times how to detach from things emotionally, but also has such a hugely uh, compassionate heart, soul, and spirit. 
He grew up in Melbourne and today lives in northern New South Wales with his beautiful wife, Sarah, and their gorgeous children, Maya, Darby, Tommy, and Spencer. If you uh, want to know what it takes to live your best life, then this podcast is a game changer. We not only talk about the beautiful book that Marcus has just released, but also his journey as a parent and probably the, the most humorous part of it is what he thinks about health and wellness, where he went from being a scotch drinking, cigarette smoking, uh, full on television and radio person into being a full-on vegan and just how he transitioned in and out of each of these different phases. We asked some pretty deep questions in this interview, which I really love the way Marcus answers. He is an exceptional person in the way that he gives his delivery and his viewpoint. I know you're not going to be disappointed. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Self Love Podcast. Please note that the reason why we're launching this podcast today is at the end, we talk about the Wellness Summit Many of you have met me and Marcus through the Wellness Summits and the Wellness Couch Podcasts. And for your information, this weekend, Saturday the 26th of June, is the final Wellness Summit ever. It is online. It'll be a digital experience, so it won't matter where in the world you are. It's just $97, and you can get your tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. And I can seriously say to you with hand on heart, you will want to get a ticket for this. Even if you can't be there live, you will get to hear some of our favorite humans speaking this weekend. So please go to the Wellness couch.com and then also for all the podcasts but also the wellnesssummit.com for your ticket for this weekend also don't forget to do all the follows at kim morrison 28 uh, thanks to 28.com for being the sponsor of this show i feel very proud and honored to interview this special human being my dear friend marcus pierce enjoy the show well as you can hear from that intro it is Absolute with delight and pleasure that I get to interview someone that I've been holding off almost for a, over a year now to get him on the show. But we've been waiting because it ties in beautifully with the launch of his brand new book, Your Exceptional Life. Marcus Pierce, what a privilege to have you, my darling, on the Self Love Podcast. Oh, Kimmy, thanks so much for having me. And yes, uh, I did keep on saying, just wait till the book's out. It's almost done, I promise you. And you are one of those poor people that received a, an opus of a book about 12 or 18 months ago. I think it was about 120,000 words. And you said to me very kindly, Marcus, sweetheart, I think you might need to edit that book a bit more. And uh, uh, to be able to say I got it down to under 300 words, that feels like the biggest uh, achievement because it was pretty big. 300 words? Or what 300 pages, 300 yeah, pages. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah. I think you, you edited it a little more than that. But it is an exceptional book. Before we go into it, I just, for our listener, and even though we know you and I both have our podcast on the Wellness Couch, we've been friends for over a decade. We've watched each other go through a lot of highs and lows. We've supported each other. We've been besties. We've also watched each other shine, and we've also seen each other at the bottom of the bottom. And I just, for the listener, for the self-love podcast listener, maybe you could give us a little brief overview as to what led you into the wellness world and how we ended up meeting. <laughs> oh, shivers. Okay. The quick version is I fell in love with a very healthy soul, my now wife, Sarah, uh, who was a chiropractor when we met. And I was a smoking workaholic TV producer. And I'd always loved personal growth. 
And I, like many people, I loved, uh, you know, choosing a great career and uh, having emotional health and uh, working on all the different levels of personal growth. But I always skipped the health section because I loved a cigarette and loved a scotch and coke. And um, I just loved all of the uh, all of the hedonistic kind of uh, habits that come into a lot of um, you know society's lives. And I met Sarah, and uh, really like. We just did so many different healthy practices together. And I remember coming home uh, one night when I was working at Channel 9. I was working at a show called The Footy Show and I'd been smoking and drinking beer and it was like three or four in the morning and I hopped into bed. It was too late or early to have a shower and I woke my poor girlfriend up at the time. We'd probably been going out for three or four months and she was like, this is just disgusting. And I was like, you're so right. This is feral. Like, It must be so yuck being asleep and having a walking cigarette hop into bed. And um, it was kind of a, it was a moment like, you know, those, those moments you have in your life, you remember it like it was yesterday. It was kind of like the time where I was like, okay, I really need to do something about this. And so I rationalized my smoking habit. It was three cigarettes a day. I then realized it was a thousand a year and ten thousand a decade, and that was a that was a, a good way for me to quit smoking. And um, Sarah and I went to Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within in Sydney back in the days when you could go to real life events. In about two thousand and five, I think it was. Day four was the the healthy eating day, as I remember it, and it was a ten day meat free challenge, I think it was, and it was so it was vegetarian for ten days, and then. I loved it and went from meatballs to chickpeas and uh, then it was, then we extended it to 30 days and then we became vegan and we just went for it. We went for the jugular. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I could keep, keep going on, Kimmy, but I had a, a few epiphanies over that time that uh, made me recognize that, um, you know, being vegan and quitting smoking, whilst they were really great things, they weren't the fountain of youth to life and, and that was probably about, 11 years ago, I began to realize that after being vegan for five or six years. And um, yeah, there's a lot of gaps in between there, but that was really falling in love was the catalyst for really valuing my health and wellness. It's a pretty cool reason to fall in love and to, to get healthy. Many amazing things can happen through the transition, particularly when our oxytocin and not nitric oxide levels are high and <laughs> we have our beautiful partners um, persuading, gently manipulating, coercing us into a better version of ourselves, which is exactly what your beautiful wife said. You know what it was, though, Kimmy, just because this came up a bit particularly at the time. A lot of my mates, this is going to sound vulgar, uh, but this is mid, middle, middle, mid-20s mates going, Mate, you just pussy whipped doing all of this because of a girlfriend. I was, I was about to say. And uh, I was like, no, no, no. Like, if I want to have healthy kids, I don't want kids with two heads and, you know, shriveled up fingers and whatever you, whatever you come up with in order to really, you know, make a change. I had visions of, like, all my smoking. I mean, I'd been smoking literally since the age of 10. I was stealing cigarettes from my mum from a very early age. And I had, I was literally starting to worry that, my habits were going to creep up. I'd taken drugs and done all types of things. And it was like, hold on. I think if I love this girl and and I did and I still do today and uh, I'm going to have babies with this beautiful woman, uh, I better get myself into shape. It wasn't, it was a pretty masculine linear decision. It wasn't, it wasn't born out of infatuation and um, being changed by someone. It was probably more being inspired by someone and actually creating a more inspiring script for my life than I had up until that point. 
Well, I think you've just made the really good point that I was heading to is that it's not always just the love drug that gets us to change because there's a lot of people out there that don't fall in love and have that change. What do you think it actually is then that has us transition or make that, you know, some people say it takes 10 years to make that decision in a moment. It takes five years. It takes a lot. What is the secret formula then in order to get out, basically get all our shit together? Oh, gee, that's a dinner party question, Kimmy. How, what is the formula? I'm sure, well, tell me if you agree or disagree, but I feel like there is no formula. I remember having a conversation with you. I was talking about this the other day, actually, when, um, when uh, Wes Carr was doing a session at the Wellness Summit and Kay was an attendee who started singing and literally it, was, it brought the house down. And uh, I remember having a, little, having a little teary there thinking, oh, my gosh, like personal growth hasn't hasn't made me well up in years. I almost felt like I was becoming a bit jaded. And I think I remember talking to you going, I feel like personal growth and and um, having these epiphanies in life has been reduced to an infographic and everyone's got a formula as to almost how to have these epiphanies. But I don't think it's so, um, I don't think it's linear. I do think it's got Hollywood and the, maybe a hero's journey written all over it, but that journey is different for every single one of us. And you know, for me, it was falling in love. But as you just said, you don't have to fall in love. Um, you don't have to have, you know, remember Karen Smith's and the seven dollars $7 in the bank story. You don't, not everyone has to have a seven dollars in the bank story. Um, and I think, you know, rightly or wrongly, many of us are trying to be like Kim Morrison or be like Cindy O'Meara or be like Karen Smith. But the story is different for every one of us. And I think what you know, my message is, in particularly in writing this book, is actually owning that the script for our one. We're all exceptional human beings. The moment we're born, the moment we win the race, um, which we all did, we all came first in that race to be born. And then the fact that we're born, the fact that there's no one else like us, means that there's no script that's going to be identical to anyone else's. Um, there's definitely influences that we could all talk about as common themes, but there's definitely not one way to. Um, have those breakthroughs or create an exceptional life. You're, you're right, but I, I want to put this to you. If that's the case, why is it as humans we come into this world, we have an exceptional life, we've won the exceptional race, we are exceptional, and depending on our upbringing, our personalities, our input, our the way we look in and distort, generalise, maybe even delete the world, how we view it, whatever it is that we do, how come then some people will choose the not exceptional life or refuse to even look down that pathway to even change their life? What is, what is it that sets us off course? Oh, great question. I'm loving this, Kimmy. I love these chats. Um, <laughs> look, my perspective has been that there's a definite overcoming of um, fear or, uh, for want of a better term, subordination or giving in to other voices in our lives. So at some point in our lives, I feel like we have to break up with our mum and dad. Um, I think at some point in our lives, we have to break up might seem too strong a word, maybe change the grip. As my father-in-law said in his speech at uh, Sarah's and my wedding, he says, I'm not letting go. I'm just changing my grip. Um, And I absolutely love that analogy. And I think sometimes we have a grip too fixed to what our parents told us or our teachers told us or our friends tell us or our colleagues, or our employers, or whoever it is in our in our lives. Um, sadly, many of us believe the script that others want to write for us, and we don't recognise this um, personal power. This um, really to to take a, a note out of your book, Kim. Like 
this self-love, like self, self and love, put it together. Um, us as self have the power to write our script for our life. Um, but many of us don't love ourselves or don't believe in ourself enough in order to do it. And so it's a lot easier to let others do it because um, there's le- it's more passive, it's less active. And even though people bitch and moan about it, um, it is the uh, path of least resistance. And as hard as it can be to watch, and I'm sure you say it sometimes, or I definitely say it, sometimes you just have to watch the train crash for people in their life. Um, As hard as that is to watch, sometimes you need the train to crash in life in order to make the adjustment to recognize that, um, you know, our exceptional life is ours for the taking and no one else is going to write the script for us. I love the way you talk about this because I always think that, okay, we've got a young child, you've got four young kids, they're growing up, their only role modeling is your parents to start with and then the influencing factors around them of the community, family, et cetera, the extensions of that. If we ourselves haven't got our mindset or have an awareness or have some sort of observation quality where we can actually observe our own lives, our own behaviors, and have that mindset or emotional capability to dissect ourselves, um, give ourselves constructive feedback, honor ourselves, and then also give ourselves a break and forgive ourselves. If we don't have that, then I'm amazed that our kids make it to adulthood at all. (laughs) (laughs) It is a bit, yeah, I'm with you there. You know, some people, they say, should not have that ability to give birth. They're not even in that mindset (laughs) to be aware. What we do and how we raise our kids, what we say to them, when I hear someone losing it at a supermarket, I hear the fatigue, I hear the concern, I hear the, you know, the pain of that. But everything we say can make or break us. Mm. Oh, you'd and- see it also at the sporting field, wouldn't you? Oh. I, I saw it yesterday and I, I almost fell over. I, I actually heard that it was actually a mum like go wild at her eight-year-old daughter. And I just, I was, I was, the little innocent in me was just, I could not believe it. Yeah, I know. But when I sit there looking at that, I then go, okay, if they say, here's, here's one for you. If it's true that on some esoteric level, we chose our parents, we chose this pathway, what have you got to say about that then, about the lives that some of us end up leading? In terms of the the more average, dramatic yes. lives? Absolutely. Well, I think we need it. So let's bring our beautiful friend, Cindy O'Meara, into this conversation. And uh, I do remember once she said that, um, and a quote, unquote, apologies if I put a bit of mayo on this, Cindy, but... Cindy said that everyone was into wellness and we were both, uh, I don't know if you were in this conversation, Kim, but I think it was Damien and I, or maybe we were at a dinner and a number of us said, no, hold on a minute. Not everyone is into wellness. All you need to do is go down to McDonald's or Coles or, um, and recognize that 99% of people aren't into wellness. Um, it's just a tiny little percentage of, of people that are really into this. I think what Cindy was really meaning to say was that the wave is getting bigger. It's less, um, it's, it's less, um, What's the word? Uh, it's it's uh, less of a cult, let's say, than what it used to be. It's becoming more mainstream is what is the word I'm looking for. And I still maintain that we need sickness in order to give us in wellness a real purpose. You chiropractors, again, my wife's a retired chiropractor, but, you know, chiropractors make a living out of so many symptoms, even though they want to treat a lot of people when they're healthy and well. Um they make a living out of uh, symptoms. Mechanics make a living out of 
living things called cars that break down over time. We can't have this nirvana of perfection all the time. And that's exactly the same with the human condition. Imagine if all of us had our lives together. We were all consciously living our exceptional life. We loved our work. We moved regularly. We had all this vitality, had the best friends ever, ate glorious food, loved our family, had this level of enthusiasm with our growth and our hobbies, spent less than we earned and had this spiritual fulfillment that filled us with joy each day. Like you and I would be out of a job, Kim. We would not have any work to do because this mass enlightenment, uh, which a lot of people are still looking for, would create almost this vanilla uh, filter over the world where everything was the same all day long. So I was just talking about this with uh, our good mutual friend, Damien Christoph the other day. The word diversity has been reduced in today's world to mean gender and race, but really diversity in its pure definition is around every single difference that you can imagine in life and how unconditionally loving can you be towards every single difference, particularly the ones that are at the other end of the spectrum of your beliefs and views and uh, behaviours? How compassionate can you be towards the things that you vehemently and the people that you vehemently disagree with and continue to live your life with love? And that really for me is the it's the beautiful challenge of the life that we have is how unconditional can we be in the life that we live? And that for me is the reason why we have such a diversity in our uh, human lives. It challenges us to be what I call a limitless soul. Well, if that's the case then, and I completely agree with you, then this whole world that we're living in at the moment and the whole diverse um, opinions that we're having around the way that we're living in this world at the moment, then everything's perfect if that's the case. Is that what Mm -hmm. you're saying? Oh, I agree, yeah. I mean, it's an unpopular view, but I think there's no mistakes. Uh, When people talk about, you know, all they see is the – you know, or the world's so bad. I'm like, you know that, you know, and I'm going to put my former journalist hat on here, but you know the, the newsroom mantra is if it bleeds, it leads. You will not uh, scroll and you will not buy the paper and you will not read the news if it says that it's 25 and fine and it's a great day for going down to the beach or to the park for a picnic. People are not attuned that way. Uh, we are attuned to the saber-toothed tiger hiding behind the tree ready to pounce. We are attuned to observe danger or potential pain more than we are pleasure. Um, You know, often we reserve our pleasure for Saturday and Sunday, let's say, but most of the time we are putting out fires, so to speak, and we are looking for threats and we are making sure that uh, we are safe. And if people want to tell me how bad the world is, it's it's purely because they've been sucked into a um, just, you know, a, a mass media message which that's just the way the mass media has to behave it's it's never going to change it never has changed it's just a bit more amplified now because we have more channels on our tv so to speak and you know that includes our our smartphones and our laptops and the other ways which we consume but this has never changed um it's just different ways to um share the same form of human behavior You're so right, and I love that because it gives us all permission then to watch it with that mindset of it is just a viewpoint, it is the way the news rolls. Sadly for a lot of people, like they believe a lot of general practice in medicine or um, certain things that occur in our life, we believe what we're told by someone of authority. Do you believe that as a world then, as human beings, we're actually hypnotised, that we are hypnotised from the moment we're born? We can go back to the point where our mums tell us we're absolutely amazing, our dads tell us we're brilliant, or our mums tell us we're pains in the butt and our dads tell us that we're idiots. Either way, we can grow up believing one or two or three of those thoughts, 
But are we being hypnotized? Is it that, that we hear it over and over again? It's that repetitiveness that we start to believe it. How do we break through the hypnotism? I think, I think you're right. And I think um, we're all hypnotized. All of our values are an illusion. Everything that, that I want to live in my life, someone is doing the exact opposite in. Um, we're all under this illusion called life. But I think there's a great line um, I haven't read the book. It's one of the. It's on the to-do list of or to, to read. Looks at read to read list. It's um. I think it's Anna Anna Karenina. Leo Tolstoy is probably second most famous book. And I think it gets to the end. Um. And again, the main character. It's a Wayne Dyer story. You know. Uh, he. I remember him telling it. And you know, one of the characters gets to the end of the, the book and it gets to the end of his life. Sorry. And he says, "What if I got it all wrong? Like, what if everything I believed was wrong?" And I really. I really resonate with that because I never want to attach myself even to my own beliefs that I'm right all the time. I think one of the best things I ever did was being vegan for five or six years. And I think one of the best things I ever did was deciding to stop. Uh, but I remember at the time realizing how wrapped up my identity had become in being vegan. Like if you asked anyone about me um, in 2000 and I don't know, nine, 10, 11, it was like, oh, do you know Marcus Pierce? It's like, yeah, he's a vegan. Like it just was so wrapped up in my identity. And I think many of us um, feel like that we have to be right all the time. And that, that illusion of being right, I am um, going to say I'm hypersensitive too, but I think it's, it's actually a lot better to be wrong for want of a better term because when you recognize how fluid your beliefs can be, um, it allows you to have such a wider, I'll use that word, diverse experience of life rather than being tunneled into you know, a two-inch experience of um, of life because you just don't want to be right or wrong. And then again, that's, you know, that's hypnotized in itself, isn't it? You're hypnotized into this very, um, very compacted way of living, which for me <laughs> is not how I want to live. As a parent of four children, four amazing, beautiful young kids, what would be the way you would like to hypnotize them, for want of a better word, Oh, I think every time I go to hypnotize them, Kim, I realize how futile that exercise is. <laughs> Although Maya, I was almost a bit embarrassed the other day because she was having a bit of trouble going to sleep. And she said, oh, Dad, I think I need to read your book. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want you to think that at, that at 11 years of age. Um, you know, she hears people say, oh, you know, I love the book or it's uh, whatever, amazing, whatever, just stuff that people say. And Sometimes I don't like it when the kids hear it because I actually want them to recognize that they've got all the power within them. I don't want them to think that a book or a podcast or a, something is just a personal growth version of a Panadol. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I do feel like I can get on my high horse with kids, uh, with my own children, um, as I think, oh, I don't know, maybe we all can. But uh, I definitely, I, the only section I really felt that I could put in the, in the book about children was a Khalil Gibran um, extract from the prophet. And really the big thing is that your children are not your children. Uh, that's the mantra I remind myself all the time. And, you know, I could go on and, and read the whole passage, but I would recommend any, any parent that hasn't read this passage from the prophet to actually read it because it just reminds us all as parents that, um, again, they are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. It is a wonderful passage. And, again, it goes on for a bit longer. But I really want my children to not feel shackled or constrained by uh, – I won't talk for Sarah, but I don't want them to feel shackled or constrained to me or my own beliefs. If 
I, I kind of want them to have different beliefs to me. I want them to grow and evolve and, and not be little mini-me's. Um, I want them to be, you know, um, beautiful expressions of themselves. And uh, however that manifests, uh, so be it. But I definitely don't want to get in the way of my kids. That's a, a big a big kind of part of my um, purpose. And I think maybe that's because I'm a raging first child Leo that does not want to be shackled by anyone or anything. I want full expression of myself um, without constraint. So I would ho- only hope to think that my you know, at the same time, I love providing boundaries where appropriate, but I would like to think my kids don't feel too compacted at this point of their life. I think one of the most important things you, you're talking about there is having that awareness of that beautiful prophet quote is realizing too, if you can take that viewpoint that it's fascinating how their minds work, it's fascinating when they argue back with you, it's quite incredible the way they see the world differently and sometimes I've done things Marcus where I've been driving along when my kids were little and I've asked them questions like this out of all the adults you've met in your life tell me your three favorites and why (laughs) and oh my gosh I was not expecting what came out of their mouths they have these viewpoints that are often shunted into the corner by teachers parents people with so-called authority, and if you just allowed them to speak, if you allowed them or questioned them in such a way that had them think, they don't even think. It just Mm. comes out, and it's quite magical as a parent to witness that, and it's part of what I believe what you're suggesting in your book uh, in order to have that exceptional life is to actually have an exceptional mind opened awareness Talk to us then about, before we go into the book, talk to us about what parenthood did for you. I want I want you to picture Marcus Pierce, the scotch and coke drinking, cigarette smoking man. <laughs> and I want you to imagine that you married someone and you had your four kids in that lifestyle. And then look at you now and tell me what you see would be the biggest difference. Oh, my gosh. The biggest difference, I feel like personality-wise, I've always been pretty level. I don't think I've changed much in my personality. I've always my mum. My mum definitely taught me the art of socialising. My mum is the best company uh, you could ever have. If you ever want a stranger at a dinner party, invite my mum. But I think if I consider how life would have been for my children and I, if I continued to be that Scotch and Coke loving, cigarette loving, it just would have been really my health. My health paradigm, I think my level of love would be the same. I would like to think, every parent would like to think that. But I do, you know, I do touch wood that our children have never had a medication. Um, I don't say this to gloat, please. It's just, I'm just answering the question. They've never had a medication. Uh, They've never had um, a major health challenge. They've never been, uh, Darby, uh, sorry, Tommy, Tommy uh, broke his toe the other week. That was that was the first plaster in the house. That's a little bit different, but I just look at their health and their expression of life. And um, you know, there's a there's a view in childhood years that around the age of nine and ten is when if a child hasn't had a major disease up until that point, they just ooze this vitality of health and wellness at that nine, 10 age. And I've seen it in Maya and almost like just been relieved, but also just mildly impressed at that expression of health. And Darby is about to turn nine and I can see him really owning um, himself. And I've even said this to you, Kim, about your daughter, Taylor, and, and even Jacob, like, you know, the age that they're at, they're just oozing health and wellness. And it's just so wonderful to 
observe in humanity and it's not a fluke. Um, I don't think we can say we stumble upon it, uh, but I do think if I had, you know, if I was playing sliding doors or forks in the road, um, if I continue to smoke and I continue to have the, you know, the way of eating that I did, uh, you know, by not meeting Sarah, um, yeah, I just probably shudder to think about the health of my children um, and the consequences that, you know, they would be experiencing and, and then I would be, even again, there's no mistakes. It would have been the life that it would have been, but that is probably the one few moment I have when I think about it in that way. Oh, you're going to also think with all the information we've been so blessed to hear around the Damien Christophs, the Cindy O'Meara's and all of the Joe Witt and Kirstie with all these different people that are in our world, you only have to know that at some point in your life, the gut microbiome, the gut itself will change, which therefore changes our dopamine, our serotonin, which then affects our mood. So you might have stayed the same personality, but it may have been an expression in the more constraint side rather than the powerful side. If our thoughts can affect, be affected by what we eat, then surely we can also see how that affects our mental health, our spiritual health, and of course our physical health. Absolutely. So how have you then mastered being okay with maybe close friends or family members or other people that don't live the way you guys live? <laughs> um, oh, this is so good. Oh, you, you're a great interviewer, Kim Darling. It's almost like I forget how great at interviews you are because so much of our chats are over the phone or in person. I think of a Benjamin Franklin quote, and I'm looking for it at the moment, um, but I'm going to paraphrase it, and it goes a little something like this. When you consider how, how hard it is to change yourself, you realize what little hope you have of changing others. And... I think if you are into personal growth, you realize that growth is never necessarily easy. And that's with all of the information at hand and maybe the epiphanies and the doses of inspiration you get from podcasts and attending events and so on. Imagine being the person like your husband or your wife or your children or your siblings or your parents or your friends that that won't change and have absolutely no inclination to change because they haven't read the book, been to the event, listened to the podcast. It doesn't burn in their heart and soul. Um, and then you, and in this case I'll say me, you know, has this vegan epiphany and you go and tell everyone how unenlightened they are that they're not vegan and how the only way to achieve enlightenment will be to stop eating animals. Um, you can realise that that can be pretty abrasive and quite destructive to relationships. And so my main conclusion out of, you know, seven to ten years of going through major shifts myself um, was to love people for who they are and that is a, a human being. Uh, love people for who they are, not for what they do, not for what they eat, not for what they drink, not for how much they earn, not for where they send their kids to school, not for if they're getting the COVID jab or not, not for if they're voting for one political party or not. And that should have nothing to do with your level of love for that human being. Every human being is worthy of love. It doesn't mean you have to spend all your time around them. It doesn't mean you have to be married to them. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to divorce them. But sometimes the most loving thing we can do is the cruel to be kind behavior. And other times the most loving thing we can do is to just let bygones be bygones and just let that comment go through to the keeper um, or just nod your head in, you know, polite agreement. Uh, again, maybe it's, maybe I'm mellowing, Kimmy. I'm 40 this year and maybe four kids has taught me to mellow, but you don't have to fight every argument. You don't have to win the right and wrong game. It's actually exhausting and it's exhausting to observe in others that are trying to get it right. Sometimes I say to my kids, it's like, 
guys, like, do we really need a right and a wrong here? Like, can't we just let it go? And it's like, no. So I do think it's important just to love people for who they are. I could tell you stories of, you know, Holocaust survivors who forgave Hitler, of um, parents who forgave the murderer of their child. I can give you the most unforgivable acts where forgiveness has taken place um, to let you know that holding on to resentment or to judgment on others for the way that they're behaving because it's not in line with your values and your beliefs like uh, the hated the, the you know the um, hatred only hurts the hater more than the hated um if you're the one that's judging it's impacting you more than the other person so just let it go i know that's easy to say care deeply for that human being um let them live their life and the more you try and impact theirs um by wronging them or um uh, intruding on them or by, you know, subtly suggesting to them, oh, they're smart enough to see right through it. I don't think it's worth the energy, to be frank. I know. One of the beautiful parts in your book, I remember you said, um, and it's just going to link it all together now about the news and watching social media, but that the your own news and that of your family and friends is more important than the news of the country or the world. I love how you said longevity cultures spend their evenings immersed in long dinners, socializing with friends and family, discussing the news of their local community and each other. What you're saying here is I don't imagine that they'd be having big viewpoints um, in some of those, especially Ikaria, <laughs> where you've taken your beautiful retreats with Damien too. I don't think they'd be talking about, you know, or maybe they do, I don't know, but it's certainly not ruining their health based on someone else's difference of opinion. They seem to embrace one another's differences more. Would oh, that be fair they're to not say? talking about the crisis in Syria and the child trafficking happening in Africa and the stuff happening in Nauru. Like it's just uh, people find it a little bit um, offensive when I tell them that I'm somewhat uninformed around so many foreign affairs. Well, I'm not running for president. I'm listening to Barack Obama's. Um, audio book at the moment like it's, it was his job to be uh, you know in touch with foreign affairs I, I have no control over what's happening in you know pretty much every country in the world um so I, you know when we look at these longevity cultures they're more they're more impassioned around how do we get this road fixed you know where our elderly neighbors live because they're going to fall over and break their hip if we don't go and um, you know, fill that pothole ourselves. All right, let's 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 all get up in the morning and we'll go and, you know, we'll, we'll band together as a team. Like, that's what they do. Like, they don't blame the government and they don't, you know, point fingers. They just act as these communities. And, you know, even in business, they talk about departments not being more than, you know, 120 or 150 in size. And you look at these villages, you know, Ikari is a population of about seven and a half thousand people and there's around 75 villages so you do the averages it's around 100 people per village and they all know each other again the good old takes a village to raise a child but it takes a village to live an exceptional life you know do we have do we have this network where we can just sit down at the end of the day and and just talk about stuff like it doesn't have to be so heavy can you just have a cup of tea and you know as my stepmom brenda says just talk about the ants on the footpath like does everything have to be so big um so many people want to get so bowled down in the outrage conversations about the big issues. Sometimes it's just about having a chat with your neighbour going, how are you going? Like, what's up? And and it might be surface at the beginning, but if you can spend more than five minutes talking to a stranger, you'll actually get into the bigger stuff and giving yourself the time to do it is, oh, it's just, for me, I'm a romantic on this stuff. Like, 
Uh, I go to the cafe in the morning down at Brunswick Heads. Um, I get there at 6 a.m. in the morning to work on to work on this book, the marketing side of the book at the moment. And I see so many locals just gathering there for a coffee. And what I love is they'll, they'll mix tables. You know, they'll sit at one for 20 minutes and they'll move to another and have a chat. And then they'll have cross-table chats and arguments and then the dogs will start barking. And I just love it because they're all so local and we all know each other's names. And um, it's so basic, but it's so profound. And I feel like so many of us. And again, I, I say it because I can take people to Ikaria and I can see people being quite affronted with this at the beginning. They're like, they're like, where's my coffee? I'm like, forget about the coffee. Just talk amongst yourself for a minute. Like, let's just have a chat. We don't have to, it's not about the transaction. I paid my phone coffee. Where's my coffee? It's actually about sitting down, enjoying your surroundings, getting to know your fellow human beings. And I swear to God, uh, this is some of the greatest mental health hacks that we can do is just chatting and learning the art of conversation, particularly with people that we don't know. And then we can begin to embrace the simplicity of living an exceptional life. It's not complete. It's not complex. I think Tony Robbins says complex is the enemy of human progress. I think he's, he's right. on so many factors we've overcomplicated the art of how to live. And, you know, if anyone uh, that gets this book or knows my message, it's uh you know, there's eight steps, not 500. Um, the ingredients of the recipe of life are the same for all of us. We just have to learn how to simplify them in a way that is congruent to us. I love you so much and I love the way you always bring it back to, I think it is the Leo in you, by the way, and that driving fire purpose in you. But I would love us now to cross into this beautiful book of yours. One of the things that struck me when I first heard you speak at the Wellness Summit was you drew up a big triangle on the the flip chart and you would put it down. What is the number one most important thing in order to live a long and exceptional life? And, you know, given we're in a room full of nutritionists and a whole lot of people, everything was around food, I honestly expected you to write nutrition. (laughs) But I was blown away that nutrition was, I think, number four on the calendar or five. Mm -hmm, Could you talk to us about the, the, the Exceptional Life Blueprint and then please lead us into your incredible book and why you wanted to write it. Oh, thanks, Kimmy. Well, I think as, as um, counterintuitive, not counterintuitive, as obvious actually as it is, but it feels counterintuitive, um, I can't deny uh, that through all of the interviews that I've done, through all of the research, through engaging with humanity, the most important ingredient to living a great long life I call it life purpose. Um, sometimes I call it career. But really what I'm saying is it's you. Your life purpose is something that no one can take away from you. People can die. Um, pandemics can, take, can, can happen. But no one can take away your life purpose, which is, which is you. It's just, it's, it's bit, I could call it you, but that would be way too abstract for people. So the number one ingredient is, is doing what you love and loving what you do, but it actually is... Um, a bit more than that. It's also being who you love and loving who you are. So for some people, doing what you love and loving what you do is a bit too, uh, what's the word? It's too confronting because people go, I just don't know what to do with my life. So then I go, okay, take a breath, take a breath. It's okay. Um, Are you being who you love to be? Because when you behave, and I talk about four cardinal traits in the book, um, generosity, respect, kindness, and oh, there's so much in the book, sometimes I forget, uh, and being helpful. Um, you don't need to know what you're doing with your life to be those 
human traits. You know, you can be respectful and have no idea what you want to do with your life. You can say thank you and you can actually um, be kind without having any idea what you want to do with your life. So nailing that, and when you, when you behave in a way that brings the best out in you, you're far more likely to get clarity on what you want to do with your life. So that's the first big thing. The second kind of, I suppose if I bring this up in how I had to really think my way through through this whole philosophy of how to live was there is a really big, um, you know, conundrum and competing one-liners is, you know, you are what you eat. And then as Cindy O'Meara says, no, you are what your food eats. Um, but really the thing is, is that a lot of people feel that nutrition is the fountain of youth. And through all of the research that I was doing, um, Movement was more new, was more important than nutrition. Ruth Frith was winning World Masters Games, athletics gold medals at 103, and she didn't eat vegetables. You've got plenty of people that would, you know, run five-minute Ks and then go straight to the bakery. You know, the Iron Nun, Sister Madonna Buddha, the oldest woman ever to complete an Iron Woman or Iron Man triathlon. Um, she loved apple scrolls, and she wasn't all about eating the best food. Um, you've got people that eat meat. You've got people that are vegan. I still can't find a 100-year-old vegan, which I always think is really interesting. But then you've got people like Mimi Kirk, who was voted uh, Peter's uh, sexiest vegetarian over 50, who was vegetarian and then became raw vegan, and she was thriving on it. Um, but what was really clear is that all of, the, all of the diets around the world are different, but movement is a common ingredient to the exceptionals. And it's not that they're going to F45 or CrossFit or yoga or Pilates. What is common is that they are moving in ways that they love. They have this, whatever it is, like I, I know, like for you, Kim, it's running. You just love running. For Cindy O'Meara, it's swimming. Um, for other people, it's it's yeah, swimming. Uh, for swimming, for other people, um, it's lifting weights. For others, it's yoga. For many people in longevity cultures, it's gardening. You know, that's the most common form of movement. Um, so movement is ingredient number two and social is ingredient number three. Now, those three ingredients, your life purpose, your movement and your social life are the big three for your longevity. So the book is broken up into your exceptional longevity. That's part one, life purpose, movement and social. And then part two of the book is your exceptional quality of life. And this is where nutrition is the queen of quality of life. King is, uh, movement is king. Nutrition is queen. When you have a great diet, you do have great energy. Um, if you have a poor diet, you really put yourself at risk of chronic disease. 33% of all cancer, 34% of all diabetes is directly related to obesity. Now, you don't get obese um, from eating well. As my mum says, uh, no one in a concentration camp came out obese. Uh, they weren't fed. They were moving like no one's business, but they were not fed. Uh, we've got to be really clear about this. Obesity has a massive link to chronic disease. Nutrition, great nutrition, has a really big uh, link to our energy and the quality of our life. But the book's uh, slant on nutrition is really about mastering the art of nutrition. So not just what are you eating, but who are you eating with and how are you eating? I know so many people that eat well, but they gobble it up in like 10 seconds flat. They don't 
chew their food. That is not good for digestion. Eating organic beef but not chewing it is not good for your gut. So it's really important that we master the art of eating well. Um, And then the next ingredient is family. And the big one in family is does family come first? Well, family might come first in a crisis, but it doesn't come first for longevity. It's really good for feeling loved and having great Christmas days and awesome birthdays and having great family celebrations. Uh, But you don't have to look very far to find that family doesn't come first for longevity. Look at Holocaust survivors, one of them, my wonderful friend, Eddie Jaku, wrote The Happiest Man on Earth. Uh, Look at Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Mis, one of my favourite books, wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Victor Hugo buried four of his children and his fifth child spent her last couple of decades in a mental asylum. He found out that his... um, daughter Leopoldine uh, died uh, drowning in the River Seine and her husband, Charles, uh, died trying to save her. The heaviness of the French costume or the French dress at the time was the large cause of death. Even more sad was the fact that Leopoldine uh, had a baby um, in her womb and even more sad was the fact that Victor Hugo found all of this out whilst reading the paper whilst on holiday in Nice. I mean, how tragic can it be? And Victor Hugo doubled the life expectancy of people uh, of his era by living until he was 83 when life expectancy of people in France at that time was 41 years of age. So we've got to be really clear on the role that family plays in our lives. And I say that because a lot of people on this listening to this podcast right now are overcommitted in their family and they are not giving themselves the self-love and self-care that they are entitled to. They are giving it all to others, it's other self and other care and none to um, themselves. And so we've really got to reshape that value and that purpose in our lives and we've got to tie in our family to our life purpose so that we recognise the value of giving to ourselves. Um, I might just pause there, Kim, because I'll keep on going and you you might want to... Um, oh, no, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I keep going because okay. I think that once we get to this, then I want to talk about then how we've done the book. This is awesome. Thank you, Okay, Marcus. sure. No worries. So the final two ingredients in your quality of life are your growth and your wealth. Your growth will yield for you um, an astounding level of enthusiasm that nothing else will, but the mass media will kind of dumb that down and render you bored if you just consume mass media. So growth in an exceptional form is recognizing that you are the player here. You are the director you are the script writer you are the course creator the best thing is you can decide what you want to learn you it's it's media on demand these days what podcast you want to listen to what movies do you want to watch what doc what documentaries do you want to what do you want to watch what books do you want to read um what audio books do you want to listen to what plays do you want to go see um do you want to go to sydney and watch hamilton or do you want to just go and watch some tripe show on tv because you can't be bothered you know creating or, or designing what you love to learn um with wealth the man is uh, spend less than you earn and invest the difference. Sadly, most of us are spending upwards of 120% of our income. That renders us broke. Um, And then the big circle around the triangle is your spirit, soul, and faith. You've got to put your spirit, soul, and faith into every area of your life. You can't just pop it into a 20-minute meditation regime or being grateful in your gratitude journal or being mindful. You've got to put your heart and soul into your career, into your body, into your social life, into your nutrition, your family, your growth, your wealth. Everything that you do is a spiritual experience. The idea is to truly understand and appreciate that. And when you do, you can recognize that there are no mistakes, that we are limitless souls, that good and bad serves us. There is no peacekeeper without a war. There is no mother to 
Teresa without poverty. There is no Nelson Mandela without apartheid. And we have to recognise that, as I say in the book, we are caught in this conflict of opposites and we are Malcolm in the middle. And the sooner we can adjust to that and really own it and appreciate that and see the romance in actually having this um beautifully diverse life, then once we can put the recipe of our exceptional life together and own that our recipe is different from everyone else or the the way that we put the ingredients in, there's no spaghetti bolognese, it's the same, folks. Um, it's all different. We all do it differently. Then we can begin to really own that we are in charge um, of creating our exceptional life. Soliloquy over, Kimmy. I know that's a long one. Oh, honestly, it is it's powerful and I'm sure everybody listening can see how all of this feeds into what you said around the power of loving of self and what we do for ourselves. Ultimately, we are the ones in the driver's seat. Ultimately, it wouldn't matter what we read or how many times we read your book or listen to this podcast or listen to the beautiful 100 Not Out podcast or any of the Wellness Couch books, authors, speakers, etc. Ultimately, it comes down to you. All of these things can impart and impact and influence how we do them. And certainly one of my biggest things is they, they help to inspire us. But what I want to ask you is if we are the driver, what is the number one thing? Do you think like I do that self-love then is the ultimate foundation, the, the springboard, the, the landing platform, that ability to love and forgive and embrace all of ourselves that allows us then to be open to read, listen, look, learn? Yeah, 100% because if you don't have the self-love, to actually go and create your exceptional life. It's a bit of a carrot um, and the stick or the chicken and the egg, this one. I, I think about it quite regularly when I think about how will this, you know, my message mature over time. But if you don't have the self-love to start this ad- adventure, um, you are not going to live your exceptional life in the conscious way that you might choose to. So self-love for me is the um, it's the everything. For me, it's the soul, it's the soul part and the life purpose part of i mean it's 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 every part of it but the soul and your life purpose is yours and yours alone like with movement and social and nutrition and um and uh family and growth and wealth there's an element of that that involves everyone else um but with soul and life purpose yes of course it involves others as well but they're yours like and you've got to get to know them and you've got to be you've got to have a wonder about them and a real um joy in going on that adventure called life to develop this relationship with self, develop this relationship with your soul to just be, you have to love that part of you. Um, and to, and I know, you know, we often quote um, Marianne Williamson and how scared we are of our own light and our own potential and the rest of it. But if you can really recognize it, you know, you are a co-driver. Let's not pussyfoot around here. There is another There is another power, a universal power where things happen in our lives that aren't on our script that we wrote, you know, parents die unexpectedly, friends die unexpectedly, touch wood, you know, children, we may bury children. There may be major disease, major challenge in our life, which we did not write on our goals list or our to-do list for the year. But when we can have enough self-love to recognize that that is all part of the perfection and we can go around uh, creating our part of the script that demonstrates self-love to the highest level. 
I thank you so much and I completely agree with you. I want to ask you then, if that's the case, if we know self-love is the foundation, you also mention in your book um, some amazing rituals, morning and evening rituals. Do you want to give us just a couple that you think are real good feeders into the power to love ourselves a bit more by putting ourselves first? Because let's face it, sometimes for many people, it's a practice. It takes practice to do this. Yeah, and I also think, just saying this, um, Kimmy, great question, that rituals change. And I know for a time I was so big into um, meditating for a time or um, writing my gratitude journal every day and, um, you know, going for a 5K run every day or getting up at 4 a.m. And after a while I just realised it just burnt me out. Um, and I've, I've said this at Wellness Summits before, you know, you've got people out there that wake up in, in the morning, they've literally got a 12-point checklist, they've got to have a green juice and they've got to write in their journal and they've got to meditate and they've got to practice mindfulness in some way and they've got to do their yoga and they've got to burn their candles and then do their oils and then do their body boost and then they've got to tell their kids they love them and make themselves a nutritious breakfast. And it's like, oh, my gosh, so many things have to go right in order to feel like we're winning. And and. That's not for me the way that I like my rituals to be. Um, up until not long ago, my main ritual in the morning was to move my body because I realized that focusing on the on the philosophy of the one thing, if only one thing was going to happen, and this has been more pertinent, the more children I've had and you know more things can happen in the morning. Um, if I moved 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes, then I felt like um, I had conquered the morning. Now, there are other people that are doing the 5 a.m. club, Robin Sharma. Now, that's a great program, but gee whiz, I know some people that have become tired by the 5 a.m. club. Uh, it's great for Robin Sharma, but that doesn't mean it's great for everyone else. And I'm very big on this. There's stuff in my book that is great for me that is not great for everyone else. And the biggest thing with the morning ritual, just like Cindy O'Meara loves to swim in the ocean, rain, hail, or shine, it's great for Cindy, but it's not great for everyone else. We have to own our rituals, and I think um, less is best but make it quality over quantity. I know you, Kimmy, do a body boost every morning and you do it oh so well. I impersonated it last year at the Wellness Summit and I think I did a pretty good job impersonating it, but I did it because I know that that's your ritual. Um, for me at the moment, it's actually now going down to the cafe and doing some work for a couple of hours before the actual day starts because I know this is a pivotal part time in my life purpose. So movement is not getting the same love that it once did, but own your ritual. And if your ritual at the moment is to sleep in at 8.30, get out of bed stressed and rushed from the moment that you wake up, recognize that that ritual is not serving. And the idea of a ritual is to make it um, complement every other part of your day. Um, it's, yeah. And then I just on, on nighttime rituals for me is I think it's so important that we just, we go on the down ramp. So many people go on the up ramp. They wire themselves up with movies and social media and bright lights. And for me, I still think a real book, like a hardcover paperback, book beats an ebook because I just maybe it's because I'm on a computer all day um and chamomile tea you know just <laughs> something that just makes the the heart rate drop and the uh the yawns um speed up I just think you know it's so important to recognize the the time of the day if a ritual is um time appropriate or not you're an incredible soul. You have been a part of the Wellness Couch for many, many years. Talk to us about how you got involved and then how you've taken it to a whole nother level. Tell me about the highs and lows of being a event organizer and what the Wellness Summit has done to you over the years and how we can be a part of the final one this weekend. Oh, well, the Wellness Couch 
for me has always been a manifestation of a belief I had and I never knew how it would uh, manifest was um, when I left the sports media, which was six or seven years, I just, I just knew that I would transition into personal growth, health and wellness media, but I just never knew how it would happen or when it would happen and the rest. And, you know, I had six or seven years in the media and then um, Sarah and I were in really the chiropractic industry for six or seven years from about 2007 to 2014. Um, and then about 2012 or 13, um, the, the, the wellness guys, Damien Christoph, Brett Hill, Lawrence Tam, were running an event called the Wellness Summit and they had people buying tickets, but the three boys had no idea how to run an event. They were like, Marcus, can you help us out? Um, Damien and my wife, Sarah, went to uh, university together and so there was a connection. And so the Wellness Couch for me has been a great vehicle to really manifest that uh, kind of idea, not idea, I actually just knew it was going to happen. I just never knew how that, that I would transition into personal growth, health and wellness media. Um, and so live events for me have always been just like TV, uh, podcasts have always been just like my radio days um, and, you know, blogs and articles have just been like print media. So that's been the vehicle, but the benefit of it has been the relationships, just this this band of friendships um, uh, and experiences, yourself and Cindy and Karen and LT and Bretto and Damo and Joe Witten and all of the people that we've connected with over the years and all of the attendees. There's been over 4,500 attendees to wellness summits and and really like um, bringing 100 not out to that and the fact that that little podcast alone has taken Damien and I to Ikaria um, three times and the, the experiences that's had on, you know, my life and the message and what's in the book and all of those other things, it's, it's a weird and wonderful um, thing to become nostalgic about. And, you know, even though it's sad that the wellness summit is on for the final time this weekend, it very much is the reason season lifetime. Um, you know, uh, part of it. And the Wellness Summit has served a great purpose. And yes, COVID has had a massive impact on on how it um, has ended, but I've never been never been wired to want to have massive digital events. It's just not my it's not my way. I'm all for hybrid events where there's a live audience and people can come in digitally. We've had that with wellness summits in the past, but um, I've never wanted to be that that guy that's sharing my message digitally only. I've really um, struggled with not having that extroverted vehicle over the last 12 to 18 months to go out and and be on a stage and connect with people in real life. I think that's why I've spent even more time at cafes over the last 12 months or so. But, um, you know, the couch has been an incredible gift to all of us that have been involved with us as uh, listeners, as we've all been. And then for some of us that have been podcasters and content um, creators, it's been a magical part of our lives. And, um and, you know, it will continue to be as a podcast network, which is really, it's going back to how it first started. Um, that is a, a podcast network. Um, and that's a beautiful way to share messages um, and, and help people improve their lives. 429 shows, the 100 Not Out show with you and Damien Christopher's head. It's now the longest serving show on the platform. Um, how does that feel to have been coming up with content for, I don't know, that must be nine years, eight, nine years now? How yes. are you guys still going with it and what does it mean to you both? Oh, well, still? I think it's, yeah, it's a great question. And, yes, it, well, it only has, it has to be true now that a longevity podcast has to be the longest serving show on the network. I actually didn't know that, but thank you. That's awesome. Um, it's definitely changed. I think in the early days we were really conscious, particularly maybe from a credibility perspective, to interview a lot of uh, graceful ages. Um and I think now we actually enjoy talking about our learnings more and talking about just the 
week-to-week experiences of life. It's actually it's actually really turned into a podcast where we get to reconnect and talk about so manner so many uh, manner of topics that are relevant to everyone's lives. Even just the other day, it was you know charity overwhelm. You know how do you say how do you say yes to so many charities when you feel like you're being spammed by so many and all the rest of like people would go, well, what does that have to do with longevity? Well, when you think about it, you know longevity is life, particularly in Australia. We are fourth on the ladder for longevity and um, we are one of the wealthiest nations on the planet and we have to have this really good relationship with money and know how to spend our money and save our money and invest our money for a really long time because we live for so long. So, you know, there's so much to cover on our show that I don't think we'll ever run out of things to say. Um, but I it's particularly, something that- I particularly loved the one... Um- having a dinner party with a whole lot of scientists because every time I have any comment to say, I always get asked by an academic, you know, where's the evidence-based science? <laughs> and I just, it just warmed my heart. Imagine a table full of scientists and oh. I just loved it. I loved it. Um, sweetheart, the the summit, we, we've brushed over it a little bit, but I just want to talk to you a little bit more. Being an event organiser, um, I just want to know how hard was that sometimes for you to fill seats to get people to attend? Because, you know, so so many of us, look, you just said it before, we're spoiled for choice. There's so many things we can go to. Lots of us don't make a decision until the last minute in case a bigger, better deal comes up or a better option Mm -hmm. or we get permission. How have you managed, you know, and the reason where I'm going with this is um, let's just say Marcus Pierce, when he's on form at a summit live, is is the ferocious Leo. He he's on a he's on a mission. And I just want to know how has that affected you and embraced you and also helped you grow as a human, organizing these four and a half thousand people over the years to come and turn up and shop and then feel like that they were delivered quality and handle the feedback, the constructive criticism sometimes. How have you personally managed all of that for yourself and what does it mean to you? Oh, it's a great question. And um I, the more I think of it, it's so weird. I never met him, but his impact clearly has had a um, – his legacy has had an impact on me. So Kerry Packer uh, was my employer technically for um, uh, 12, 18 months back in 2005 or 6. And so when I worked at Channel 9, I'd been working in radio for four or five years. And in radio, you know, you don't have a really big budget. Um, and before then, I'd worked in local papers where you just have zero budget. But then at Channel 9 – there was often, it, it almost felt like an endless budget, you know, working at the footy show and at Commonwealth Games and Allen Border medals and working with some of the best of the best, you realise just the um, the influence that financial wealth can have. And one of the things I realised that it uh, money was a really good way to create an experience for people. Um, and, you know, we were paid as producers to help create a great experience every week on whatever show that we were doing. And so when it came to running events, even though the budgets were, you know, a lot smaller, um, I always wanted to put money into the experience. So our very first wellness summit had $14,000 in ticket sales and we had $14,000 in expenses. And some people go, well, that didn't work. And I was like, no, absolutely it worked because we gave this great experience that then propelled the wellness summit into this um, uh, event where the first summit was a, a sellout, a genuine sellout um, paid tickets, you know, paid tickets only sold out. It was like that wouldn't have happened without doing an event for 180 people on the Gold Coast. Um, and then it, it it graduated from going to Crown where the sellouts were to then going to the Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre. That was big dollars, big dollars. And so you felt this burden or I felt, felt this burden by then because we're spending a lot more money on venue hire, um, 
and you know, having these massive spaces. And that's probably when it became really hard is when we really went to play big. And the other, the other thing that I've you know, thought about is events are a little bit different to, say, TV shows. And this is where I probably could have thought about it a little bit more, but you only get this from experience. With TV shows, you want to watch you want to watch the next show. So if it's Home and Away or Neighbours or, in my case, the footy show or any any series that you like, um, you know, Bridgerton, let's say. It's called Bridgerton and it's episode one, episode two, episode three, episode four. With the Wellness Summit, I found over the years that people will often say, well, you know, I've been to one, so almost expecting that the next one was the same as the last one. Um, and in hindsight, it, it probably could have benefited from being called something else every year because... Um, it had that. It's a bit like a movie, actually. That's probably more 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 akin to it. People felt like they'd seen the movie before, and you know, most of us don't watch that many movies twice or three times. There's only um, a few movies that we do that. So, you know, over the time, you uh, you would recognise that it might get a little bit harder to sell tickets because people felt like they'd seen it before. And I know I know that myself with personal growth experiences. I've only been to one Tony Robbins UPW, one Date with Destiny. Or I've been to two actually, the second one. I was, I was bored because <laughs> I felt like I knew exactly what was going to happen every time. Um, so I think I've learned a lot from that perspective. But then I've also learned that, gee whiz, the power of getting someone in a room. Once someone's in a room, there's no, uh, there's no experience like a real-life event experience. Um, and however much you often have to coerce people to attend an event, um, no one can take that experience away from you. And so that's why I will still hold on to running real life events. I know I run a, I want to run an exceptional life blueprint event in October, um, and I'm going to hold on to that idea until I can't, uh, if you know what I mean, because I still hold hold on to this belief that real life events are. Um, they're magic. Nothing digital. Zoom cannot replicate them. Uh, Zoom can play a part of it, but they cannot replicate them. But whilst we can't run national events, we do hold digital events. And as you said, the the last ever wellness summit is this weekend, um, and we will do our best to provide an entertaining uh, digital wellness summit. Well, it warms my heart and saddens my heart if there's such a thing. If we can have the joy and the yeah, sadness I think, all I think wrapped a bit in of one, both, but yeah, for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's certainly been, I've been at every single summit from the moment it started. I remember some of the feedback, you know, whenever you got those bloody feedback forms, um, there'd be some people <laughs> saying, you know, it was the best talk and then others saying, heard it all before. And then there'd be people knocking someone that I absolutely loved that was speaking and then someone else saying that this person should be there more. And it was just, it kind of got to the point where I was getting ego egoistically involved, if there's such a word, into the sense of how can I make it better? How can I? I think personally, Marcus, what you, Damo, Brett, Lawrence have all given us is the opportunity to constantly grow ourselves and to be a part of that. Some years have a big input and some years be more of a supportive role to the other incredible speakers. I just want to acknowledge you publicly, you especially, for being the glue, for holding everybody together, for being the fierce um, leader and the fierce um, supporter of every single one of us. You have an incredible ability to bring people together and also to have people shine at their best and give everybody the flexibility and um, nous to actually lead for themselves. So 
from my heart to yours, my dear friend, I want to say thank you for always evolving, for always being mindful of every other person in the room, often not looking towards your own self and any of your own personal financial gain. I know many years have cost you truckloads personally, um, especially being away from your young family and beautiful Sarah. I also know how much it's cost you sometimes in your own space and life. So for you to get this book out and for you to finish the Wellness Summit, our events on a high with the Exceptional Life Blueprint and the book in itself being such a masterpiece and allowing all of these years, the, 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 the number of years that we've been at Wellness Summits all come together. I truly believe, my friend, that your exceptional life is really an opportunity for us on Saturday to all say for all of us to make the the rest of our life the best of our life. And so from my heart to yours again, I say thank you, Marcus Pierce, for being the beautiful human that you are. You're incredibly um, intelligent. You have such a thirst for research and knowledge. You also have, you're one of the few people I know who has the ability to really see all sides or be open to seeing another side without judgment or ego. And I think it's a trait that is the one thing that I would love to embrace more of you into my world is how to, to do that with such grace and courage. Thank you for being a part of my world and singing my praises and pushing me to get this podcast and many other things that I've done out there. Thank you for supporting my business, 28, and all the things I've ever done there. You are an amazing human. I would dare say, I'd even like to say that you are an exceptional human being, Marcus Pierce. You're so kind, Kimmy. You are just an angel. And um, to say it goes both ways would be an understatement. You've been a pivotal part of my life and as you said at the start of the podcast particularly over the last decade or so it was a a privilege to feature you in multiple sections of the book i love one of my favorite subheadings personalities when kim met danny page 152 was my take on when harry met sally um don't know if you actually uh saw that that was my take at the uh at the great movie headline um and you wrote a beautiful um blurb for the book and you've been a great supporter of my of, of myself and my family and my message which I always appreciate just little things that I remember about our time together in life so far Kimmy is every time I get off stage you always are the first one to come and tell me how much you loved <laughs> what I said even if I don't know if I've nailed it or not you're always so supportive and we've been we've been through a few highs and lows together as speakers on the circuit <laughs> As I think of a few trips we've taken over the years. And, I just want, uh, I want our listeners to know that <laughs> we have to share this one. There. We won't say specifically, but let's just say we were out of both our homes. We were away on the road and we were both two of the keynote speakers. And Marcus leaned into me and said, you just got to, you got to lighten up the crowd. You just got to, you got to say, say a dirty joke, say a Kim joke, do something. Anyway, it was the worst <laughs> joke the worst feeling I wanted the world to swallow me whole the technology didn't work I just got off that stage I've never felt so mortified (laughs) and you were just there smiling almost like not pleased I'd fallen not that you were just pleased that I'd first of all finish but I think you could you actually invited to take me outside I was that broken (laughs) it was very um very humbling as a speaker um when when one of your colleagues is really having a tough time because you realise that it takes so much courage to 
get up on the stage. And I know, like, I feel like um, it's what I love so much about you, Kimmy. We are, I talk about in the book the difference between the compassionates and the detached in the world. So there's two paths to Buddhism. I know we need to finish up in a minute, but it's two paths to enlightenment according to Buddhism um, philosophy, the path of compassion and the path of detachment. And in most relationships, you've got one person that's ultra-compassionate, one person that's ultra-detached, and the compassionate one wants the detached to care more, and the detached one tells the compassionate one not to worry about it, and there's all this conflict, and that's a lot of marriages. And I love that in our friendship, Kimmy, I am uh, Captain Detachment, you are Miss Compassionate, and every time before you go to speak, you are so nervous because you're so care- you care so much about everyone in the crowd that you really want to just give them, um, you want to give them a great time. And so I felt I was humbled, but I, I, I felt for you so much because I knew how much it means. I know how much it means to you to please and give and just give value. And um, I really felt for you that day, but I'm, I just, I just take my hat off to you because you just back it up. You just got so much courage. You know, you're the type of person that has gone through that many setbacks and challenges that you could so easily pack it up and go, I'm done here, I'm done, and no one would bemoan you or wrong you for doing so. But you've got this will, this courage, this fire, this limitless nature to you that is beyond inspiring, and that's why people like me um, can ourselves just absolutely, um, we're indebted to have you in our friendship group because um, you teach us and you inspire us so much. You're a beautiful soul. Do we take that as your last quote, that Buddhist quote, or do you have one final quote to finish this week's oh, self-love podcast? Oh, shivers. I have, I, have, um, I have one. I'll say it because, because I think it's really, I think it's really, um, I think it's, it's one that my editor was actually like, she almost, I don't know if she teared up, but she was really taken aback by it. And it's something that the more people read this book, and there's a great diversity of people reading the book when I'm getting feedback, people in their 20s and people in their 60s and 70s. And so I love it when the same thing hits people that are at different points in life. But this one uh, in the spirit section is one that seems to resonate a lot. And it is, uh, it's a Sufi prayer. And it is, my heart is at ease knowing that what was meant for me will never miss me and what misses me was never meant for me. And if people can just ponder that and mm. meditate on it, if you wish, and, or think about it over a walk or a coffee um, or chat about it with a friend or a family member, uh, there are no mistakes in life and particularly the things that missed you or that you missed, you were never meant to have them and they were never meant to find you. And that is just one of the great, uh, one of the great challenges in life, but also if you can appreciate it, one of the great blessings in life as well. So that will be the one that we end on today, I think. Think so, and thank you for giving me a break, a space to breathe and wipe the little tears from my eyes after all your, your beautiful, kind words. You really touched me, uh, Marcus Pierce. If people wanted to get a copy of the book and follow you, quickly give us your beautiful links, and I'll make sure they're in the notes as well. No, right. best copy of the book is through my website, marcuspierce.com.au, um, because I can sign it. I can put a bookmark in it, and it's been printed in Australia with beautiful paper by the good people at McPherson's in Victoria. Uh, you can also get it at Amazon and um, Booktopia and the rest, but it's a different book, different or not, it's the same book, different quality book. I don't get to touch it or sign it. Uh, books available on audio book, Audible and Apple Books and the rest and um, Kindle and all of that. And I am at Marcus D. Pierce, at Marcus D. Pierce on the socials. 
Ah, you're a beautiful soul. Thank you, my friend. Love you dearly. And I'm looking forward to seeing you. Oh, what's the link for the Wellness Summit this weekend if anyone wanted to come along to the digital version? Oh, it's a tricky one. Thewellnesssummit.com. That's thewellnesssummit.com. And you'll find all the uh, details. $97, Saturday, June 26, 9 till 5, and uh, lifetime recordings. Um, if you can't make it or you can only be there for bits and bobs. And Kim Morrison is opening the Wellness Summit. Uh, just after nine o'clock Saturday morning. So get there nice and early. Love you dearly, Marcus. Have a great day. You're an exceptional soul. As are you. Thanks for having me, Kimmy. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.